Hey gang, Alistair here, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Coming Up Next, the podcast where I speak with the world's top creatives about how they've managed to create a life of their own design. This week I'm speaking with photographer Wilk, who's one of Australia's foremost but mysterious portrait photographers. He's developed his own style and works with some of Australia's best-known musicians and artists. But before we get into that, I'd love it if you could show this free podcast some love. How can you do that, I hear you ask out there in the world of podcast listening? Well, it's quite simple. All you have to do is open up your web browser, be it Internet Explorer, Netscape Navigator, or some other uh, thing that I haven't heard of, and head to comingupnext.com.au. Follow the links to uh, iTunes or Stitcher, depending on which mobile device you're using or which operating system you have. Then hit subscribe. And, you know, if you consider yourself to be one of the world's biggest Coming Up Next fans, one of the most cunning fans out there, you might feel inclined to hit the rating button, select five stars, and then leave a review. Tell some of your mates why they should have a podcasting date with the rambliest ramble on the interwebs. You know, while you've got that Netscape Navigator open, you might like to have a look at some of the visual cues from this week's guest, Wilk. And what a pleasure it was to speak with him on the show. You can find his work on social media at W underscore I underscore L underscore K on Instagram. And uh, if you head to www.wilk.com.au, you can see his work there too. So now that I've rambled sufficiently to begin this episode, I'll hand you over to episode 92 of the Coming Up Next podcast as I welcome Wilk to the chat cave. for having me in your in your studio here you're welcome uh, i imagine you've had some pretty pretty awesome uh, artists treading the boards here so to speak ah yeah, people are people so, yeah yeah lots of people and you've been here yeah uh, eight months now so a few definitely yeah it'll be more in the next couple of years while i'm here usually when i'm um preparing for these interviews i you know, it's it's kind of straightforward to do the research on on the person that I'm speaking with, but with you, it's a little bit more <laughs> challenging um, because your work is it's not really about you at all. You know, actors and singers and directors and whomever it is I'm speaking with, it's you know a lot of it's about them. But with you, it's you know you're really kind of uh, employed, I suppose, by artists to pull something out of them. Definitely. That's kind of by design, I think. Yeah. I'm behind the camera for a reason. <laughs> I don't like the attention mostly. Yeah. One-on-one's good, but I'm not sure how people, especially these days, obviously, as you've seen and know, I work with a lot of musicians, how they get up on stage. I don't know how they do it. Mm. Like, And some of them want to do it. Some of them do it at a necessity, but I, it's nothing that I could ever do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a hidden for a reason. Keep I like a low the, profile. Yeah, I'm like the you know, Tom Waits song. It's like, what's he building in there? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm behind just thinking, I'll be, yeah, I'll be out in a sec. You know, ratchets clanking or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way I see it anyway. You, you, you said that you, you know, when you were younger, it was kind of something that you thought about, you know, kind of maintaining this low profile or creating, I suppose, a myth. I suppose that that's not something that you probably did by design at that point in your life i think it was something i was interested in but and it was like a 
and again, I think, yeah, it, it started because I was interested in lots of famous musicians like, uh, like Towns Van Sant and Tom Waits and reading up on a bunch of artists like that. And uh, my job is to kind of create, help create artists create a myth of themselves in a way. So yeah, I don't know. It's, and the wilt came from necessity and the fact that it, when I first started shooting, it was with my then partner, Cara Rosenlund. I think I was 17 or 18 and she was 19. And Cara Rosalind Glenn Wilkie kind of was a bit crap, which is my real name. And I said, what about the first half of my last name and the last half of yours? So we became Wilkin Lund. Hmm. And then after four or five years of us living and working together as on a single, like the same income as a couple and also business partners and being like 22, we ended up breaking up, but still good friends. Wore ourselves out basically. And um, yeah, I kept moving and kept shooting and she went back and into a bit of reprieve so i had kept the wilk because that's how everybody knew me did you was was photography something that was always a passion of yours growing up or did it start off as something else and kind of morph into that it started kind of by accident i was a really weird artistic kid in the sense that i used to draw a lot and became quite proficient at quite detailed life drawings and then there was a uh, like an elective or like a sideline part of a chemistry subject or something in high school and part of that was photography and my father has always been somewhat of an enthusiastic amateur photographer had a decent SLR I kind of stole it didn't give it back to about four or five years <laughs> and um, yeah quickly just fell in love with the whole thing First, literally the first role photographing cicadas on tree bark and there were yeah lilies and water and something else probably a sheep or something in the farm the property i grew up in and yeah i went that's not bad <laughs> like there's a couple of shots around that's not bad it can get better but you know that spark was born and the magic had me i guess as much as probably every other photographer when you see that first print coming through it was a little bit like that it was especially the first role for me mm. so that i must have been about 13 14 yeah wow mm. and from that sort of point what was the I suppose, what was the evolution from there to kind of, you know, hitting that sort of 17, 18 mark where you started doing it professionally? Um, yeah, I had terrible grades in school because I was asleep for most of it. <laughs> and uh, my chemistry teacher then was like, well, you, you're OP still. And I was doing really like uh, advanced classes. I don't know why. Did you grow up in Melbourne? No, I grew up in rural Queensland. Okay. Yeah, in the sticks, a little place called Surratt and then Dolby. Um, How was that for someone who was highly creative? It was great. Lots of places. I grew up on a 40,000 acre station to begin with. Oh, wow. For a good 10 years. That was great. I ended up in hospital a lot. A lot of head wounds. <laughs> <laughs> Probably daydreaming. I'm not looking where I was going. Yeah. Was boom, ah! <laughs> Falling off the roof. I used to climb and we had a big old Queenslander on stilts, obviously, and it was kind of like a Tim Winton novel. Like you'd climb on top of the roof and watch the summer storms come in and I was always up there. Uh, always daydreaming, always thinking about something else. Always off off with the fairies, as my dad would say. Mm. Glenn, you're off with the fairies again. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, right, Dad. Where are the sheep going? Because <laughs> we had 40,000 head of sheep and 10,000 head of cattle. Which wow. My father and my mother kind of just, with my brother and my ineptitude help, tried to help run the place. <laughs> but mm. They kind of had it sorted. Um, that was great. Great for a creative mind. I think there's something about space and open space and creativity. It's it's probably a myth, but it's something I've always just assumed was a thing. It's why I always kind of end up in 
try to as much as possible live in bigger places like bigger rooms i don't know what that is maybe it's just the way because i grew up that way it just allows for more creative flow or something i don't know Mm, more more space more literal space creates more creative space maybe probably nothing but i like the (laughs) poetic you know symmetry of it yeah 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 (laughs) so were your parents were they supportive of your creative endeavors or were they more kind of you know get a real job well, they did try and re- enroll me into an agricultural college when I was finished high school, which is, to put it crassly, you end up most of your life with the arm of a cow's butt. And I don't know why. I think my father had taught me, um, you might as well just go to the casino every year and put your 60 grand down and roll the dice. It's about the same thing, same result with farming. And I didn't love farming the way he did. So yeah, I ran away from home for a bit. Right. I ran actually down here, who have an art, and I broke into their yacht which was dry docked and had been for years and kind of moved in there for a month until they found me and kind of <laughs> shipped me back home politely i was reading a lot of hemingway at the time so i think it was you know right. a, a definitely romantic kind of viewpoint this is we had a big trench coat drinking long necks with the wolfies i think it was pretty cool they must have thought i was hilarious <laughs> down at sandringham um jetty um yeah they, were, they got it but they were just worried i didn't have a focus and so i went to um queensland college of arts uh in st lucia st no south bank sorry um and morningside tafe i studied a animation certificate and a photography certificate separately but at the same time and tried to make my mind up both were quite cheap because they're only certificates and i i loved animation and um, ended up doing like a five minute little hand-drawn short painted cell old school but i realized i didn't have the patience for it and quite silly now because computers have taken over it would have actually but anyway probably be a wealthy man these days i reckon yeah (laughs) working for pixar or something probably hating it though um i went and i love photography as well and it was immediate and yeah i think a friend of mine at the time said look you don't really have the patience for animation but you know photography is immediate and you're really good at it and with someone like i'm like that's a good point i never really figured that so and it just stuck from there but they were supportive definitely they're very much so now. They get it now. I think they were a bit confused at the time about what a photographer was. And to be honest, so was I. Mm. So what actual employment opportunities there were. And also, they were very little. So they had good reason for their doubts. Yeah, right. Especially in Queensland. <laughs> yeah. You end up working for a wedding photographer. was kind of like the only path that I could see illuminated. And so how did you kind of find a different path? Mm, by accident, as always. Um, stumbling along. Blind drunk. Yeah, hitting my head. (laughs) (laughs) My partner and I are the same one, Cara Rosenlund. She was a year ahead of me in college. We both were kind of like, weirdly enough, prize students. We won a lot of awards, which our head lecturer, who's a mentor to both of us in a lot of ways, who's since described me as the best worst student he's ever had. (laughs) Because I never graduated. Um, But I won a lot of awards and uh, kind of got a taste for it. Um, state and national levels and quickly through his guidance developed a style of my own which was the main point of his encouragement and he's definitely got his own style which is you know, he's in I think he's, he's got four or five works in the National Portrait Gallery like he's kind of an unknown god of Australian photography but he's not very known one day he will be um, I graduated, I moved to Brisbane from a little place in Toowoomba where we were both studying, which is, I think, uh, an hour and a half south 
west of Brisbane. I have up, been to Toowoomba. Yep, on the Misty Mountaintop, we used to call it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so ended up studying there at the TAFE, which was a great breeding game because it's a little pocket, as you know, but there's actually this thriving art community in amongst all the country conservatism. Mm. And there's enough, just enough space for it. So it was a little community going on. I um, left that and moved to Brisbane. And then, um, yeah, I ended up working for two wedding photographers. I think I lasted about two or three months. <laughs> Hated it. They were great guys, but I just, yeah, I didn't, it didn't fit. And they, they were very patient. And Cara, my partner, had been working for one, a quite a successful one for a year. Um, we entered in the National, well, the Australian Institute of Professional Photography Awards as professionals for the first time. And it's an awards that I think there's eight categories. And there's something like 3,000 entries every year from the best photographers all over the country. We both ended up winning one of the eight categories. And then from that, uh, National Photographer of the Year or whatever was picked, which they picked her. She was the youngest person, let alone woman, to do it. She ended up on the Today Show and they gave her a $15,000 camera for the prize, a bunch of stuff, a lot of press. And I went, this is our chance. Like, we don't know enough individually. But together we could set up some sort of studio doing portrait, what we both love to do. And we had a similarish style. And within a month of kind of making that decision in our heads, and even though nothing had happened, uh, I think our lecturer, Doug, called up. He said, I've got a job for you two. And it was a series of portraits for a magazine called Ad News in Sydney, which was 40 portraits. Um, it was going to take a month to do. So we, and I think they paid us. What we thought was a ton of money, but it was quite a cheap fee. But for the opportunity it gave, it was a gold mine. And um, so, yeah, we moved, packed our bags, drove down to Sydney, camped out in the City Crown Hotel oh, wow. for about a month. <laughs> Went through their DVD collection a lot because we had no money at all. But, yeah, full of, I think it was, Cara had a little fest, Ford Festiva, the melted jelly bean we called it at the time, packed it to the rafters and drove down and... Yeah, we did the series and it went quite well. It ended up being exhibited at the Opera House. So wow. kind of, yeah... Came to the Opera House for the first time with a backstage pass and a little 17-year-old me and 18-year-old, we were kind of beside ourselves in a way, just going, what's going on? What's, what was that experience like? Uh, it was stressful just because there was so much to do getting the exhibition ready. At the time, I don't think we really enjoyed it. Um, and it was also a little bit abstract. It never felt like... A lot of the stuff going on then because of all the awards and a bunch of stuff and a lot of press and... We weren't, we weren't ready for it, but we just pretended like we were. Mm. So fake it till you make it. So I can't really remember an awful lot about it. I imagine it probably felt somewhat surreal, mm. but then it was just like part of your day-to-day, whatever was going on. Yeah, you just focus on the next footstep, the next task ahead, and there was a lot of big ones, which we didn't really know how to do them yet. So we were kind of stressed and just focused on getting stuff done. Yeah. We didn't really get to relish it too much. It's something that happened you should get when you've been doing your career for 10 years instead of... At the beginning. <laughs> so like, Sets the bar pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the only way down. But no, it's definitely... It's vinyl seats. Um, uh, yeah, not my flashlights. Um, yeah. No, it was. it started the whole process from that, I guess. And yeah, very quickly morphed and changed and has over the years several times. And so how did you come to this point now where you're... I suppose, first of all, with the, the style that you've developed 
and also with the kind of niche that you've found photographing primarily musicians? Mm. Um, yeah, well, I'll just kick the pragmatic stuff out of the way. From that exhibition in the Opera House, we ended up kind of getting contact by an agent. Didn't know what one was. We thought actors had agents, not photographers. Realised this whole world going on commercially that we didn't know about. We started shooting ads very quickly um, for quite a few years. I think you like big ones for like billboards near the airport for Toyota, Guinness, Qantas, uh, Oliver Lay, Sony, blah 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 blah. We very quickly got disillusioned with it because you realise there's a lot of skill involved with those sorts of photographers, but technically you're just a mechanic. There's not actually any conceptual work going on at all. We made a lot of money um, and struggled a bit, and then made a lot of money and struggled a bit. And that's, I think, where we, Car and I, we did a little bit of editorial photography at the time as well, but we were really interested in that. But it's a very hard thing to develop. We ended up parting ways. I took six months off. She went back to Brisbane. I can't remember a lot about those six months. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had a big bank account to start with and very little one at the end of it. Right. Um, I had a lot of fun and met a lot of good friends and a lot of them were musicians, I think, and um, some sort of creative symmetry and you know kinship was immediately understood. And yeah, I, I kind of started back up and I'm like, I'm going to do it differently and I want to do portraiture and focus on what we initially started with because we got sidetracked with all these big dumb ads and started doing this occasional and spasmodic album cover or PR shoot for groups like uh, Pivot I think was one of my first band shoots and still very good friends with those boys who Richie is now in London most of the time I forget where he is but he's in that big park is it Victoria Park? there's a few big parks uh, that is a good point yeah. there's a few <laughs> Victoria Park Hyde Park uh, wherever they have field day anyway right whatever that park is um and did it like an album cover for Bertie Blackman. Again, still good friends. And then a bunch of editorial portraiture. And that kind of occupied me for about six or seven years. And sometimes we're shooting six, seven days a week. Um, every one from a farmer to a scientist to a celebrity chef. So many bloody celebrity chefs. Um, <laughs> so many of them. There <laughs> was, are a lot. It was just at that time too when they'd be like, we're celebrities. And yeah. it's like... Jamie Oliver, what did you do, man? You opened the gates. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was going on. And lots, a couple of prime ministers and a bunch of other stuff. Director of ASIO, that was fun. That's cool. Mm, got in the ASIO building. I don't know why they let me in there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I interviewed someone who worked for ASIO during the Cold War, actually. Wow. Yeah, My was, old flatmate actually works for ASIO now as a cartographer. Yeah, map yeah, reader. Right. Pretty sure he just got some Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, zoom in, so like, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> you can't go to work, man. You do some Facebook. Um, Just a KGB guy from yeah, the bird yeah, to a giant satellite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's the old thing about uh, Americans spent a million dollars designing a pen to take into space or a billion dollars? Russians just took a pencil. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so that was um, amazing training. Just showing up to a location, having maybe an hour, maybe 15 minutes. Like Kevin Rudd gave me 15 minutes, but like literally trying to get a, a rapport and a connection with somebody you don't know and uh, and also an interesting, interesting image. And yeah, that, that, that was kind of my 
you know, Beatles playing in that strip joint or whatever in Berlin, whatever they did six days a week for three years or something or a year or wherever it was. You get... I think it was eight days a week. Eight days a week. Yeah, it was. <laughs> According to the song. Zing. <laughs> Zing. You, you're not very good to begin with, but you get better. Yeah. And you... And after you get proficient, you end up finding a language um, that's your own, just by gravity, I think. And um, so that happened, and then... What did you find was some of like the, I don't want to say tricks, but like hacks to building like quick rapport and... Oh, yeah. Um, Well, do your research. Find out who that person is as much as possible. Thank God for Wikipedia. Um, Yeah, right? Yeah, and the easiest way to get somebody to relax is to get them to talk. But really talk, and how do you do that about someone who never knows you or never met you and doesn't probably really want to know you? You talk about what they might be interested in. So like Adam Goods, the footballer, I remember we photographed him, or I photographed him with my assistant, I think, and um, it's like, yeah, you don't talk to him about football. I think I talked to him about cooking or his kids or like you kind of go, oh, maybe, and you kind of fish a little bit. So, and then he's becomes a bit more expansive like hang on i got him here and so you just expand that and mm. immediately someone's relaxed because they're talking about a subject they're enjoying and enjoying and that's usually you get anyone to relax at least to a point anyway so that's one of the easiest ways to get people to talk and let's just get them to talk about what they're interested in mm. so model cars to clay shooting to god knows what else <laughs> Yeah, like the director of ASIO obviously loved his wife, Molly. So we just talked about Molly. Right. So, yeah, you you just look for signs and people lead you. You just have to pick them up. So, yeah. Incidentally, Molly was the name of the person I interviewed who worked for ASIO. Maybe she was a spy and, like, she'd retired and yeah. married the director. Maybe. <laughs> um, Chairman of the board. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way it works in ASIO. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you have this great kind of uh, education, but kind of on or practical mm. kind of on the job education. And where does that kind of lead you to? Well, I kept very within a few short years, I worked with a couple of very good art directors who gave me lots of respect and room, but I kept hitting my head because my portraits were... It seems to be a recurring thing. Yeah, yeah. That probably explains a lot if you talk to my mother. Um, <laughs> um uh, on the ceiling that of what the, a magazine was required because I was shooting for like Good Weekend, Sydney Magazine, Fin Review, um, Rolling Stone. You can only get to a point before and then they go, hey, 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 no, 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 come down. Like we need to see the person's face, Glenn. They can't be face down in the dirt. I'm like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> and they, they happened a little bit and I'm like, okay, cool. I'll rope it back. And, and I was doing a few album covers and a few PR shoots for musicians here and there. Um, and building a little portfolio on the side without really knowing it. And a lot of my friends, mostly just friends at the time, who were and are very successful musicians and more so now even. And then I saw this change happening as well with the advent of the internet and obviously internet ads and magazines were dying. It was a very bloated industry at the time and, and they're becoming more and more conservative. So I was going one way and they were going the other. And and also saw what Sydney was becoming, and uh, yeah, it uh, it was time to go. The waters were rising, mm. five feet high and rising. <laughs> and um, yeah, I fell in love with a 
a little lady who you talked to last week, um, or this week, Ella Hooper. And well, that, I mean, that episode will probably be on after this one. I think. Oh, how confusing. It's like but shooting it's... a winter catalogue in summer. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> I like to mess with timelines. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll see into the future. And um, we, we'd fallen in love probably about a year or six months earlier, and we're living across state. And, she, and we kind of got to the point in the relationship, she was like, I think she said it, or I said it, I can't remember. And she's like, if we need to do this, if we want to continue this, we need to kind of live to, in the same place. And I'm like, I agree. And I am actually really want to do it. And she's like, oh, good. So do I. And she's like, I'm, I want to come to Sydney. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm coming to Melbourne. And I'd always loved, loved Melbourne and visited it several times. Um, that same aunt I mentioned earlier. And came down here and obviously she's quite a successful musician and I'd been working with her and that had already been really coming along as well. Yeah, and so I started kind of almost full-time, started doing music stuff. It took a while. It was kind of a, a year of transition. And yeah, I think, and you were talking about the final stage where I'm at now, I guess, about a year, three years ago, something happened. What was it? Probably another, I hit my head again maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Another low pipe. Yeah, damn it. I kind of changed the brief in my head because I was a portrait photographer. And my thing was always about trying to capture an essence of that person, like all their story, and try and translate it in an entertaining, gripping way. And I'd been doing music stuff for a while. And um, yeah, I went, you missed the obvious thing. You should be taking a portrait of the music, not the musician. And that's when things started to change and I started to look for ways to try and emulate or capture what was going on with their sound as much as them as a person, more so even. Um, yeah, and I'd also swapped, I think, from film to digital around the same time and I went, because I was a film man, Hasselblad and Linhoff over there um, for years and years and years. And um, I went, ooh, I can break this in ways that I hadn't, been previously able to with film and really start to pervert the mechanics of digital photography as much as possible and so I kind of ended up around about here and yeah we'll see where it takes me next I guess so mm. yeah it's I've definitely yeah and I, I think this is something hopefully I'll always be able to do work with musicians um, but I've got a I'm transitioning to a few other places but I hope this is kind of the Home base it definitely feels like me as much as it has ever. So, what is it about musicians that you think you connect with? I don't know. I was an avid lover of music from a young, very young or early teenager. Um, we'd just gotten Triple J, and back in the heyday of Triple J and the early '90s, it was amazing. It was, um, I think, it was like a a plug into a, a whole vast culture that a little rural country upbringing didn't give me. And it suited me just fine. <laughs> and um, my brother's a, he's a, a very talented drummer, which he's never done professionally. He's a music lover. Um, and he, you know, I think I was stealing a lot of his records and it kind of started some sort of passion. I'm obsessed about writing um, and I admire writers greatly. And yeah, I think music's a hybrid of that and it's definitely a happy place and it's something I've actually put a lot of education and investigation into history. I think sometimes I know a lot more about music than the musicians I'm photographing, but that's also because I have a wide view and they're usually just focused on one or two genres. 
Mm. It's a passion. So I'm not sure why, but and also I think the creative processes are similar. And so most of my good friends are musicians or if not professional, musical-minded. Yeah, and similar lifestyle as well as in being a freelance photographer. You'll work maybe one or two days a week and keep odd hours and you're hung over a lot of the time surprisingly <laughs> enough and like this morning and um <laughs> and you know sometimes you you're flush and then sometimes you're not and i think yeah you live by the city of pants a lot more being a freelance creative and that's technically what a musician is so so yeah i think there's a kinship there there's definitely a symbiotic kind of behaviors do you see any common traits amongst the musicians that you photograph that kind of helps them to uh, foster, I suppose, creative success or creative longevity? That's a really good question. Very tricky one. Traits. Yeah, sorry, I keep moving around. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the one thing that, well, several things that kind of work when it's done right is originality, um, tempered by a respect for the audience. Um, as in being aware that you can't be you can't just go out on a limb without it actually having you know some roots attached it needs to have a foundation or a common language as a good friend of mine Jack Ladder says like music that has is not like anything else usually struggles it's like Captain Beefheart and he's like why didn't we sell more records it's like dude because <laughs> it doesn't sound like anything else <laughs> people went what is that I'm not even sure it's music yeah. I love it but yeah he's like we were, I thought we were going to be famous because <laughs> they were brilliant but no one had anything to relate it to and they went what the hell is this and I think someone who respects that but also is a unique voice and talent and uh, yeah and also appreciates visuals and understands that they're interlinked for success of an artist um, to a certain point yeah they're usually the ones that do well in the long run yeah, not usually not necessarily necessarily immediately, but um yeah. And if you stick it, if you all you do something brand new and unique, you have to stick it at a long time. Like Tom Waits didn't make money or success until I think the early nineties. So yeah, I don't know. If that's a very garbled answer, but I think <laughs> if you pick through it, there's some sort of information in there. No, it's it's <laughs> it's interesting, you know, because as you say, you kind of position yourself in a way where you're kind of in the shadows a little bit or mm. a lot. Uh, and you know you're finding a way to build a rapport with people to kind of pull out the best parts of them to display that visually or to represent their kind of their sound visually. Yep. Um, so it's, it's it's definitely interesting to kind of see what you observe through, I guess, through your lens, through your filters, and through your experience as well. Yeah, this I think there's a presence thing as well, which. You do see someone who can project himself um, in certain performers and usually front people more than often. Uh, but it's not very often you see it. It's like that extra little thing. You're like, that's a singer or that's a that's an artist or performer or where they have something. And it's like that extra thing you can't really define. And you do see it in your lens when you come across it. But it's reasonably rare, surprisingly enough. There's not many people who... There are so many musicians now, um, obviously because of where we're at and the whole social experiment. Um, and um, 
and everyone wants to be a lead singer or you know a lot do it's just like most of them shouldn't be i'm talking specifically about like why prince is prince or why tom waits is tom waits it's not just because of his oh gravelly voice it's because he had there's something else i don't know yeah and you probably see it in other types of people maybe it's the same thing in like heads of state or you know big politicians or something but um yeah it's there when you see it i've a couple of very good friends I've seen it at least four or five times this year, so... Yeah, wow. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's about... I think, like you said just before, identifying what makes you unique or what makes the individual an individual. Yeah. And not trying to sound like everyone else or not trying to create yeah. art that's like everyone else, but understanding the parameters within which people accept art and yeah. then putting your unique spin on it. Yeah, and I think the people who have that in them, it's very easy to work with them because it's already there and they're doing it effortlessly, whether they they're usually they don't know it. They're the ones that really are the artists. They, they're just that way. Just instinctive. Yeah, and um, it's a good friend, actually. A recent example is um, a good friend, she'd probably hate me for saying this, but um, Cosi or Cosmina, um, she's currently in a band called Jala. It's her, her act. And um, yeah, she's just a unique human being, one of the most lovely people I've met. She's one of the more recent examples of it. And every time we... A, we're good friends as well. And we have a... There's a creative bond there. I'm not sure. It's rare when it happens. But like Blasco and I have it. Jackie Lads and I have it. Every time we do work, it's just good. And they could be having the worst day. I could be just... Have one eye poked out and it'd still be good. But yeah, it's because they have that thing. And I think it... uh, Maybe I understand it and they feel comfortable enough with me. I don't know what it is. But we push each other in just the right way. Mm. But yeah, that's you just kind of just there, and you pick it up, and you're like, "Cool, I got this." You just sit there. <laughs> but yeah, that doesn't. Have, sometimes, you, a lot of times, you got to work harder. Yeah, because it's less prevalent, or maybe it's under the surface, or you don't have that rapport yet. So yeah. How do you define success? Like a successful shoot, or um, I suppose even just career success. Well, I don't know about career success, but. I wouldn't call this a career or even a job, but <laughs> successful shoot is when you make an image or several images. These days I seem to do them in strings instead of just one. I go back and keep looking at it, which doesn't happen that often. And then it's like, well, okay, did something there. It's usually because I've never seen it before. I haven't done it before. And yeah, it's like a sore tooth or something. You can't stop touching it. You keep going, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> Success? I don't know. I really don't know. It's just the next thing. Just keep making more images. So I don't know where that'll lead me. Yeah. I listened to a podcast actually last... Yesterday. Um, You probably know it. It's quite famous. Sort of Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, they interviewed him. And yeah, right. it's, it was for something else or for another podcast, but they put it on. And it's amazing because t- t- it was a podcast about sex, money, and death or something. And they talked about his financial life or whatever and he's like you know remember that Bugs Bunny cartoon and he's he's sleepwalking in a construction site and he's got somehow got a hat on him but like he's literally sleepwalking and he'll be up on a girder somewhere and spinning around and just as he steps into midair like a girder swing out of nowhere and he'll just keep walking he gets saved every time he's like that's my financial life which and I'm like yeah that's I can I told Ella that and she was like yeah that's like me that's like you and I'm like I know because money is not a driving force so I don't know we don't measure money as a thing 
because I'd be doing something else. I certainly get paid less than I've ever got paid, but having a lot more fun. So I don't know what success is. I definitely have things I want to do. Maybe I'll get to do them. I guess maybe that's a measure of success, but yeah. I'm trying to put a book together at the moment, so that'll be a thing. That's cool. Mm. So yeah, that's a challenge. So if that's it's just another thing, tick it off, keep moving. Mm. I think success is actually allowed having you allowing your work or your creative practice allowing a lot of free time and free headspace where you can just sit and you don't have stress. I think that's like life success. Anybody can, if they get that, they're winning and, mm. you know, surrounded by people they love and constantly interacting with them. I think, you know, as light and fluffy as that sounds, like literally that's kind of the game. That sounds wait. pretty good to me. Yeah. It's, it takes you a while to get there though. Yeah. Like as a 26 year old, I'll be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You know, hookers and blow, but no, not that. But, you know, some sort of like stupid physical materialistic thing maybe. But yeah, now it's like it was such in such a busy, stressful time in society, like just actually having hours of peace in a day and good conversation and great friends and family around you. That's winning and good health. It's, it's, I sound like an old man and I kind of am in a way, but definitely in the industry but yeah they're, they're kind of things i'm after i think the idea or the the concept has to shift at some point i don't know well maybe it doesn't have to maybe nothing is that kind of uh, concrete but you know as you say when you're in your 20s it's kind of material and then i think it goes from being more vanity state based of having to yep. a state of being yeah i think that's a good way to a really simple way to articulate it uh, yeah that's a very uh, very accurate way and i think probably because you have enough of the having so you actually get it you yeah you have you get luxurious enough with that to a point anyway and then go oh yeah or it gets given and taken away enough times you go i'm happy regardless of that so okay there's there's a bit of a clue I'm like mm. yeah i think it was like 20 and i had like 250 grand or something in my bank account oh, or wow. something like that and <laughs> god damn i was unhappy yeah so it's just like, hang on, this is, this is, yeah, where's my Cluedo glasses? Like, this is, you know, okay, it's not in the bank. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's in the kitchen next yeah. to the pantry. <laughs> with, with a, a celebrity chef. Yeah, with a celebrity chef. <laughs> <laughs> with a waffle. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. What do you see as like like a measure of success, like curiosity-wise? Uh, like, just broadly. I think it's... I think it's uh... I think it's when I feel good, uh, when I feel joy, when I feel love, when I feel like really tapped into my kind of creative spirit, mm. I guess. When you're and buzzing. I, yeah, when I'm buzzing. Like yeah. Often after I do a podcast like this, I'll walk away and I'll just have this buzz and I'll be like, you know, that's that's for me, that's a measure of success. I'll go and I'll look at the stats of the people who are downloading the show or listening to yep. it or I'll see something, you know, someone will get in touch and say, I love that in- interview or something and... You know, that that for me is is kind of a measure of success because it's like you know, it, it that's feels the full like, circle, yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's a positive contribution as well as you getting something out back as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, what compels you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I think you know, I think it is a state of being and a state of feeling as opposed to having anything in that kind of superficial sense. Which you know, that's all great as well. It's nice to. Yeah. have nice things or to have nice experiences. Um, but ultimately, I don't think that's going to 
be fulfilling or it's certainly not going to fulfill me i don't think Mm. yeah i always kind of define it as like a most creatives that i come across we will share this whatever you do when you do it well like you say there's a rush or there's a we're kind of like junkies you just want that next hit like come on there's that vein like and it's it's yeah it's like adrenaline or whatever it is that kicks in and there's no drug that you can take that'll make you feel the same way and it's there's no cleaner high like there's no come down either mm. it just kind of wait, fades away and you're just back to normal it's not like you crash um yeah it's elusive but i think we're just looking for that next hit we're going from and that's why i'm just like cool next one where's the next image that i get that same feeling from or and it's definitely still images that do it more than anything i've directed a lot of music videos which i'm pretty much stepped back from but um yeah like you get that occasionally from that but mm. yeah it's definitely a thing writing as well but that's just for me and it's just a noodle but um when you do something you need to read it back and you go that's actually pretty good yeah yeah <laughs> i go buy myself a donut <laughs> pat myself on the back with a cinnamon donut yeah nice crispy cream <laughs> yeah oh i can't stand those ones but i do eat them <laughs> i like the, the two dollar cole cinnamon donuts and oh, like, yeah. i don't know why they're disgusting but the ones with the hole in a you get like a pack of six or something yeah like yeah, yeah yeah they're couple, great i don't know what it is <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm i can dig it yeah <laughs> it's like the uh, two dollar like woolies garlic bread there's no better garlic bread in the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> two for it's two for a buck actually i've lived on those for a time <laughs> it's a really cheap meal yeah those 50 cents. noodles yeah i can't do those <laughs> too many as a student well, Will, thank you. Thank you so much. I've ranted for, enough. Uh, thank you. Well, thank you for having me in your uh, in your studio. Yeah, and, welcome uh, home temporarily. If this is Melbourne is home for a bit and then back to London. Thank you, man. Um, I, I end every conversation with one question, which is, what makes you silly? What makes me silly? Other than whiskey? <laughs> that can be as well as whiskey. Uh, well, Tom Waits, definitely. And especially whiskey involved. Oh, so, yeah? Yeah, I get a bit silly. I, I think my girlfriend calls it old snake hips wilkie comes out <laughs> so there's one there's one version of me silly yeah right <laughs> tom waits and whiskey what's old snake hips uh just the way i dance apparently right very slinky <laughs> yeah she's like you got hips like a black woman <laughs> is that what I used to say right like every gonna remember she's like it's like you're from the delta or something it's weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, thank you so much Wilk. thanks mate